I finally found an amazing doctor who, you know, listened to me and I got the POTS diagnosis. And now I've been trying to switch from a plant-based diet that I've had pretty much all my life um, to a now animal-based diet. And it's really helped so far. Hi guys, and welcome to another episode of the Meat Medic Podcast. Now I'm joined this morning by my special guest, Megan, who wants to give us her story uh, and how the carnivore diet has helped her in her health journey. So Megan, if you can maybe give us a little bit of your background. Um, sure. So I'm from the United States currently. I'm living in Virginia and I started developing pot symptoms around like middle school and it started getting very aggressive in high school. I had my appendix removed and quite literally the day after the surgery, I just had all of these new symptoms I've never ever had before. And I was fainting at work. I was, um, you know, fainting, going outside in the heat. I couldn't keep food down. And um, I struggled with all of those symptoms pretty much daily for years. And doctors didn't know what to do with me. They told me, oh, it's anxiety. Just, you know, push past it. Just go to college. You'll be fine. I had to drop out of college. I couldn't uh, keep my symptoms in check. And I finally found an amazing doctor who, you know, listened to me and I got the POTS diagnosis. And now I've been trying to switch from a plant-based diet that I've had pretty much all my life um, to a now animal-based diet. And it's really helped so far. Wow. So you were on a plant-based diet previously most most of your life. Are, you, are your parents uh, plant-based? Um, my mom, no, but my dad is a very big uh, like animals rights advocate and he's pretty much a vegan at this point and tried to instill a lot of those, um, you know, values in me growing up. So I had a lot of uh, guilt eating meat, but I think not eating meat worsened everything. So. Mm. so you don't think that that necessarily caused your pots, but maybe maybe worsened worsened things, but maybe the surgery was what, what triggered it. Yeah, I definitely think the surgery triggered it, but um, the plant-based diet did nothing to help it at all. I can guarantee that. <laughs> right. And of course, you know, vegetarians, vegans, plant-based advocates, they'll say that, you know, plant-based diets are incredibly healthy. They're very, very good for us. Um, and yet so many, you know, so much of the time we hear people saying exactly like, like you've said, you know, that they just, they get to a point and they just, they just don't seem to, to, to help anymore. They seem to help initially compared to mm -hmm. certainly the standard, you know, American standard, Australian standard Western diet. Uh, I think most people can agree that's it may be better than that, but um, but then down the line, yeah, people certainly seem to to start to develop issues. Um, what does your what does your father say now then about your your kind of more animal based diet? Um, I'm not gonna say that he likes it. Uh, he understands that I have to do what I have to do to try and function and and get my life back in check, but. He definitely criticizes it a bit. I especially uh, get criticized for drinking raw milk. I know that's kind of controversial, um, but yeah, he doesn't necessarily support it, but he supports me trying to get better. Mm. So even though he kind of sees you improving on this animal-based diet, he still thinks that it may not be good for you or it's just not good for the planet? Um, or Yeah, just... I don't think 
he likes it in general. Um, I don't think he may believe me that it truly does help. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it funny that the kind of cognitive dissonance that we see, you know, even though we see people improving and I guess maybe in his instance, he doesn't believe that it's maybe what's actually helping you. What, what does he think is helping you then if, if not the diet? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Just pots has magically got, got getting, getting better. Yeah. Yeah. Which of course we, Just... we know it, we know it doesn't. Uh, maybe, uh, you could, we could go back and just explain a little bit about what POTS is and what kind of symptoms you were getting. I mean, you, you explained, obviously you were getting, you know, fainting episodes, dizzy spells. What, what kind of other issues were you, were you having? Sure. So, um, POTS is a form of dysautonomia. So the autonomic nervous system is just all dysfunctioning and my symptoms were excessive sweating, um, dizziness, lightheadedness actually fainting uh nausea constantly vomiting pretty consistently uh kind of body aches too i'm not entirely sure if that was pots related or just because i wasn't getting a good uh you know just nutrition every day but those were the symptoms i was dealing with um and also just having my heart skip beats all the time it would be extremely fast and then it would just kind of feel like it was skipping beats um, and I realized that eating a lot of carbs worsened that anytime I would eat pasta or rice or even like potatoes, uh, my heart would just pound. And now that I've been trying to focus on the protein, that's leveled down so much. Mm. Yeah. I mean, we certainly do see it with pots that, that a low carb diet can, can help. And I believe there is some reasonable evidence to support that as well as, a lot of anecdotal evidence there. I mean, this sounded like it sounded like it was pretty pretty bad for you. I mean, you know, fainting when you're going outside uh, and so on, uh, racing heart. These things are symptoms are very unpleasant. Uh, I'm sure you can attest to that. Even you know, in the absence of dangerous, you know, extremely unpleasant is still very very concerning to people. Um, to the point where you actually had to drop out of college because of this. Yes, I had to drop out. Um, I was going to a really lovely college, uh, St. Mary's College in Maryland, and I just couldn't make it to class. I couldn't walk to class, and I was spending more time in the emergency room than I was in the classroom. Um, so I dropped out, and I did online school for a bit and got my associate's degree, and now I'm back in college uh, now. Right, so you're back now. Well, that's really fantastic that you managed to kind of at least stay online and then and then manage to get back in. That's that's amazing. Um, you mentioned there, of course, that uh, you know the, the POTS was giving you all these symptoms, yet doctors weren't being terribly helpful. Uh, what was what was your experience there then? Um, well, first with the emergency rooms, the nature of how they're going to treat you is kind of helping POTS. You're gonna be laying down, you're gonna be automatically given an IV, so all of those electrolytes in the position, your symptoms are gonna go down and you're gonna be like, well, I don't know. <laughs> and they're not gonna know how to really help. Um, so I don't think that that's on you know, them for that, but with going to specialists and going to you know, cardiologists, GI doctors, GPs, um, I think that they just didn't want to admit that 
they didn't know what was wrong with me and they didn't know how to help. So instead of just being upfront about it, they would try to convince me it was something else and that it wasn't as bad as what was really going on. Yeah, interesting there that you say that, um, you know, of course, yeah, when people end up in the emergency room, you know, emergency department, uh, an accident in the emergency, you know, depending on where you are in the world, of course, all the same thing. Uh, yeah, very often they'll, they'll have these symptoms, you know, dizziness, fatigue, tiredness, you know, maybe low blood pressure um, and have these extreme symptoms. They get given, you know, an IV saline solution usually. And we know often sodium can improve these symptoms and then you'll be fine. And it's says, oh, you know, you're probably just dehydrated or, you know, oh, we don't we don't really know. Your symptoms seem to have gone away. So so let's just let's just kind of see what happened. Um, and of course, emergency departments, you know, certainly here in Australia, definitely in England, where I trained, I'm sure probably the States is the same. Uh, they're not geared up for any kind of chronic long term, you know, follow up or investigations. It's just, you know, kind of, you know, patch you up and ship you out kind of kind of deal, which, which, you know, we can't blame them for That's It's not their job to investigate long term chronic illness. Uh, the problem is in these kinds of scenarios, then is that people, often bounce between emergency department episodes and then they don't get that kind of longitudinal you know longer-term care and so their symptoms then go undiagnosed for a long time until they get so extreme that you know like you said you have to drop out of college and so forth and then finally you manage to find a doctor that maybe knows a little bit about it um, but you went to a number of non-emergency doctors as well but yeah, they couldn't yes. give you much information. Um, no, they even tried to convince me that it was just like stress and that I needed to change my environment. Um, they just weren't helpful overall. That is sometimes something that we do see here, uh, certainly Australia as well. Um, I do wonder whether it's if, do you, do you feel it was because they just, they didn't know what POTS was or they just didn't know you know what, what what they were looking at they didn't know how to help you or do you think you know was there any other reason why maybe they just weren't giving you that diagnosis I definitely do think that a lot of doctors don't even know what POTS is so I do think that that could be a factor in that um, I also do think that a lot of doctors especially the male ones that I was seeing, it kind of felt like they thought I was crazy and that I was just being dramatic and over the top. And I even had a doctor tell me uh, to, you know, follow up with my psychiatrist because I really needed that. Uh, after voicing that I wasn't like making this up, that this was happening to my body. So I do think that's a factor too. Do, do you feel that they, that they were accusing you of making it up, your symptoms? At least one or two doctors, yeah. Gosh, that's that must have been a bit unpleasant for you to mm -hmm. be having these genuine physical symptoms and then being told, well, you know, maybe it's all in your head, go see a psychiatrist. Um, yeah. How, how did that kind of make you feel? Uh, pretty horrible, especially since I was already seeing a psychiatrist. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> what can I do now? <laughs> yeah. But uh yeah, it didn't feel good. It wasn't helpful, but it is what it is. Uh, I hope that things improve, though. But 
Yeah. Well, I think more people sharing, you know, stories like, like yourself, you know, to just get the word out there, educate people on these kinds of conditions really is what's needed. Um, so that then doctors, you know, and, and just people out there that maybe other people with similar symptoms to yourself that just wondering what on earth's going on. Uh, if they then can hear something like this, like your story and then say, go to their doctor and say, Hey, look, I think I have POTS. Uh, you know, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, if anyone wants to, to know the full name, uh, then they can go to their doctor and then say, hey, look, I think I've got POTS, you know, let's let's do some investigations and, and so on. Um, how did you eventually then find a doctor that, that was just willing to listen to you? It took a lot of research and the only type of doctor that I was feeling like I was getting that understanding from was first a female doctor and then um, she was focused on not only treating with medications but also natural things as well um, and kind of giving you that option because she wants me to function as best as I can with as little side effects as possible um, and that's where I really found success so yeah so what, what kind of uh what kind of natural therapies was was she talking about then um so definitely change in diet is a big one and then uh supplements like nac and um i i was extremely deficient in vitamin d and stuff like that so improving that through drinking my raw milk and all of that um i've improved a lot with my symptoms with her and that's been the first doctor ever to really help me. So I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Um, was there any kind of non-natural kind of more, more standard pharmaceutical treatments that were offered to you at any point with, with all of this? Um, yes, I was prescribed um, mitodrine. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, it didn't really help all that much. And... I know you're not supposed to lay down when you take that as well. So when I don't feel well, I want to lay down. So I was just like, that's not for me. Um, there was another one that I got prescribed. I think it was supposed to treat like mast cell issues, but I, I never started it. Uh, do, do you get any mast cell issues uh, that, that that can go hand in hand with POTS uh, sometimes? Like, uh, you know, histamine issues, rashes, allergies, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, that's something that my doctor right now is exploring. Uh, that was just recently in our last visit talked about. So I'm really not sure yet, but that is something that we're exploring because she knows the connection with that and things like EDS. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so Ellos-Danlos syndrome, uh, what you're referring to there, I assume, with EDS. Um, of course, a lot of people with EDS do end up getting POTS. Um, and, uh, it's possible that there, there could, you know, maybe be an underlying issue there. So certainly that's something you should be exploring. Yeah, absolutely. If you haven't already, uh, is there any history in the family of, of, of POTS, you know, muscle activation syndrome or, or EDS as far as you're aware? No, everyone's pretty healthy. And, um, I have one cousin that has rheumatoid arthritis, um, and fibromyalgia, I believe. But that, that's the only person that struggles with health. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, things like fibromyalgia, it wasn't that long ago that, you know, doctors were saying that these were made up conditions and things like POTS, uh, you know, I'm sure Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, you know, will, will be on that list as well, chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, it's just, it's it's funny, well, it's not even funny really, it's, it's disappointing how some doctors, you know, still think that, you know, some of these conditions are just made up that they're in, they're in people's heads and, uh, you know, just go go to the psychiatrist. Uh, it's interesting that you say that, um, you know, it took a female doctor to, to kind of actually start to listen to you. Um, I don't want to necessarily get down that rabbit hole of, of, of gender in medicine, but um, I do have a number of patients uh, with, with POTS uh, and, and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Uh, and I, it seems to be the more you, you do work in this field, the more patients will seek you out because they know that you at least, like with your experience, at least they understand, you know, and they know at least of these conditions. And that's often the first step. Um, and uh, of course, with EDS, we know that most women, most most patients are female with it. And uh, it's it's something that they do report, you know, that they kind of keep being, being gaslighted, you know, almost by their doctors and certainly i think they feel that it's because they're female a lot of the time and mm. it's just well you know it's just female female craziness you know and uh, just just you're overreacting and, and you just why, why are you so emotional go 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 see a psychiatrist you know uh which is just it's just awful uh, and it just makes these women yeah. just feel even more terrible than they already do physically and then, of course, then they start to develop then anxiety, you know, depression and so forth, because A, they've got this chronic condition, which is incredibly debilitating. And then B, they're then being gaslighted by their doctors, you know, telling them, well, it's it's all in your head. You know, these things aren't aren't really happening to you. So, of course, then they're going to develop then depression, anxiety. And then when they then see people, they go, oh, well, you've just got depression, anxiety. So then there's, there's, there's your diagnosis, you know, go, go see the, go see the, you know, the psychiatrist, um, go on to all these medications, which can often then, you know, makes things worse. Um, did you find those pharmaceuticals made, made you worse at all? Or did they just not, they just didn't really do that much? Um, I found that they didn't really do that much. The only one that really helped me was one I was prescribed a very long time ago from my GP, which is propanolol. Um, but over the years, I've been able to cut the dosage down for what I need. So I would one day love to not be on it. It's not making things really worse or better. So I'm just kind of going with it. But I would love to get off of it at one point and function. Yeah, I mean, obviously, propanolol, that's a beta blocker medication for anyone there that's wondering and often used in, in, in POTS. Uh, Midodrine, as you mentioned earlier, of course, is another blood pressure for um, uh, medication for blood pressure, uh, which can sometimes be used. Um, on the whole, relatively, you know, well tolerated, I think. But of course, it's it's nicer to be not on any medications if we can yeah. help it. Um, do you take any natural kind of supplements? Uh, you mentioned, of course, some natural therapies, and we'll go, we'll go into your diet in a, a bit more in a moment. But I'm wondering if you take any other natural therapies. You mentioned, I think, the NAC. Was there anything else that you take? Um, just the NAC, uh, ashwagandha root sometimes, and um, magnesium glycinate mm -hmm. at nighttime. Okay. Those do are you my notice, main ones. 
Yeah. Do you notice a difference between glycinate and any other form of magnesium? Because a lot of people do feel that the glycinate is is better for them, but I'm not sure there's particularly much evidence, you know, to support that. I honestly haven't tried any other form, uh, so I, I don't have anything to compare it to. I heard that it was really good, so I was like, okay, I'll try that one. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. And it often helps with sleep, um, of course, taking it before bed, and you know, more sleep is definitely likely to to impact. Um, exercise, uh, how much exercise are you doing, and do you feel that, that that helps you at all with the POTS? I'm definitely not doing as well as I used to be doing with exercise but i used to keep up with the chop protocol which is designed for i guess pots patients um and it just kind of slowly eases you into not becoming deconditioned i know a lot of people think that pots patients are pots patients because they're deconditioned when a lot of us were athletes and you know all of that but you can still become deconditioned uh just because you're, you can't do much so that helped a lot. Um, and right now my exercise just consists of going to classes and walking the hills if I do that. Um, but I would like to get back into actually working out. Mm. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, of, often it is people who were, were very fit, very active, you know, previously. Uh, and then they just get some of these diagnoses. I, I don't think people can often understand or appreciate how much these things can impact you you can go from being a, a you know a star you know athlete to almost being bed bound you know with mm-hmm. with terrible symptoms and that is going to definitely decondition you and then it takes a long time and then of course you try and exercise and you get the symptoms back um and it kind of it certainly can reinforce the idea then that exercise is is bad for you as well which some people do do start to fall into that trap um which is very then difficult to to kind of get out of um let's go back to your diet then if we if we can there megan so so you were previously you know predominantly plant-based or or entirely plant-based um there were some years that it was entirely and then kind of switched to just primarily plant-based and now what are you what are you eating now mostly animal based products for each meal pretty much Um, i'm not full carnivore maybe one day but i'm just slowly transitioning into it i never had steak until this year as i'm like 22. Mm. so yeah i'm finally and oh i'm sorry 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 i was gonna ask how long have you been been eating meat for now then um i've been eating you know, meats like chicken and stuff like that. Since about high school, I tried to be a vegetarian and vegan and all that, but I reintroduced chicken. And now I'm eating chicken and fish and beef. And I'm trying to just try everything I can and not push it away anymore now. Mm. So would you say, so you're not doing kind of like a, a, a pure carnivore. And I know in the, in the carnivore community, uh, there's a lot of argument about what you know carnivore really means what we should be eating uh and you've got people saying we should just be eating you know pure pure carnivore you know the lion diet of course michaela peterson's diet and then we've got people like paul saladino saying we we need to eat fruit and honey uh and then you've got yeah kind of everyone everyone a bit a little bit all over the place um Mm -hmm. 
how much meat would you say you're eating now compared to plants? Uh, what's your kind of breakdown? Um, I mean, I try to eat at least one thing of meat for each meal. Um, and that's a major difference from what I was doing before, which was drinking like a protein shake in the morning and then having like pasta or soup or something like that. Um, I really wasn't getting any protein and I also didn't drink milk for a really long time either or, or eat eggs. So it's definitely a lot more protein than I used to be getting. And do you, do you think it's the protein or do you think it's just the more, the more animal meat that's making the difference for you now? Um, I wish I knew. I, I'm really not sure. I just know that it helps and I'm trying to figure out, you know, how much I should be eating with that and just kind of trial and error it right now. Hmm. Yeah, it's difficult because nobody really knows the answers, you know, to these things. A lot of it is is trial and error. Uh, and this is something that, you know, that I, I do talk to my patients about, you know, is, is I really want them to just start from the place of accepting that their diet makes a difference. And whether or not you go full carnivore, full vegan, or anything in the middle, just accepting and understanding that diet is important and makes a big difference really is the number one step. Uh, and then from there, you can kind of just just explore as as you need to. Um, now, I know obviously where, where I lie on that vegan to carnivore scale. Um, mm. But I think as long as people understand, yeah, the diet is important, then that's that's a good place to be starting from. Uh, protein is 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 obviously something that is important to us, and a lot of people are very much under protein. And I've we've spoken about this uh, in a couple of my other episodes as well, you know. And and certainly vegan pe people, vegan doctors, uh, you know, like Mike McGregor and so forth, you know, are saying, well, you know, nobody's dying from protein deficiencies, nobody's getting very very syndrome, no one's getting kwashiorkor, and all these really serious deficiencies anymore um but that doesn't mean that we're not deficient and i think mm -hmm. that's something that they, that they kind of you know don't quite understand um or at least they're not explaining well to people but of course then you get into things like anti-nutrients um you know protease enzymes this kind of thing protease blockers in gluten you know that kind of stuff you know, crude nitrogen and, and versus versus actual bioavailable protein um have you done any research into into that kind of thing at all as far as part of your kind of nutrition journey? Um, honestly, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. That's that's quite okay. Um, that's quite all right. I, I think a big part of it is just, you know, trying to work on yourself, experiment on yourself, uh, find out what what works for you and then, you know, knowing the science behind it and everything that doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily needed i think um you've mentioned a couple of times about raw milk yes. now that <laughs> is another slightly um uh you know kind of contentious issue there um now my understanding and forgive me if i'm wrong in the states i believe that in some states it's illegal to have raw milk in other states it's not illegal or at least to, to buy you know raw milk um yes. what's the situation where where you are Right now in Virginia, um, you can have raw milk if you buy it through a share. So you can't go to a store and just buy raw milk. But if you pay a farm a certain amount of money for a sh like a herd share, 
then you have access to their raw milk and you can get that. Right. And and you find that that is beneficial for you? Extremely. Um, I tried, when I started reintroducing milk into my diet, I just tried the store-bought, you know, still organic and all of that, A2 milk. Uh, but it, I felt like it tasted like water, in my opinion, and I just wasn't seeing any differences. And I felt like it really made me bloated, too. Um, so I just tried raw milk. And it was about the same price, if not cheaper. So I was like, what do I really have to lose in that? Yeah. I mean, it's something that I've had a couple of guests, you know, on before talking about here, you know, here from Australia saying that raw milk really helped them. Um, I did an episode with uh, with Rory uh, and, and, you know, with his acne and so on, moving towards a more animal-based diet. And he's a big fan of raw milk. Uh, and he talks about it a lot on his podcast, The Animal-Based Experience um and uh yeah and he he absolutely swears by it um which is interesting because uh, you know a lot of people that that talk about raw meat milk they talk about the enzyme action um mm. and that we don't get those enzymes in the you know pasteurized homogenized uh store-bought milk um theoretically the enzymes shouldn't really be doing anything because pretty much the moment they they hit the stomach the um uh you know then they're kind of you know deactivated um uh by by the by the stomach acid you know they're digested then into amino acids but yet people still you know say that raw milk really really does help them as opposed to regular store milk um which is very interesting i mean whether it's just the more fat content you know i'm not sure but um I don't know if you've seen, um, uh, probably a few people out there have seen uh, Dr. Bart K. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of who Dr. Bart K is. He did a very no. uh, interesting interview with with Jerry Schwartz. I don't know if you know who Jerry Schwartz is, uh, carnivore, carnivore camaraderie. Um, and uh, yeah, it was pre- pretty brutal. Uh, yeah, it's probably still up on YouTube. Uh, it might be worth going and going and watching. Um, but Jerry, you know, was talking about about raw milk and uh, he is a big proponent of raw meat, uh, as well. Um, and Dr. Parquet, uh, was kind of taking down a lot of his, a lot of his claims. Uh, mm. but it's interesting that a lot of people do mention that raw milk really does, does seem to help them. Um, were you, were you drinking like full fat versions of the store milk? Cause you said it just yes. tasted like water still compared to, I suppose the, the quote unquote real thing. Yeah. I was drinking like the full fat, um, and it just still didn't taste very good to me. Just didn't taste right. What led mm-hmm. you down that that path uh, of the raw milk then? Because it's not something that I guess many people are just going to wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I'm going to start drinking raw milk. <laughs> yeah, so I grew up in uh, Southern Maryland where it's more farm-like areas and a lot of the Amish would have milk. I don't know if that's supposed to happen and there's I don't know if they're allowed to sell but that was a thing um and I just was thinking about the ways that the Amish were living down there and how just amazing their health was and they were all so muscular I mean some of the kids that were Amish would come out to parties in high school and they were just huge um so I was thinking what are they doing that I'm not that is helping their health and I was thinking about the raw milk and I kind of just did a little deep dive on it online and just tried it and I haven't went back 
And and do you feel that helps your POTS symptoms, the raw milk? Or just makes you feel better? For, I would say maybe for energy. Um, I feel like I'm not as fatigued when I'm drinking that as opposed to like when I go home and I don't have the raw milk, I feel a little bit more fatigued. Hmm. But that would be about it in regards to POTS. Yeah. Um, I'm curious as also just, just the timeline. I just want to kind of clarify. Um, what made you go in more down the animal-based route? At what point around that POTS diagnosis did you go the, the more animal-based? Was it when you, you got the POTS or was it before you got POTS? It was after the diagnosis. Um, after I got the diagnosis, I just was really focused on trying to get better and functioning because I want to be a you know child therapist and I want to be functioning as best as I can. And I was trying all the workouts and trying to stick to the diet that I'd had for my whole life. And it just wasn't working. Uh, so I just had to realize that and accept that, you know, that's okay. And it's okay to move on from that. So that's what I did. Hmm. Did you come to that realization yourself? Or was it this uh, integrative doctor that you ended up seeing that that led you down that path? Uh, no, it was on me. I just, I wasn't making any improvements. And I had to come to terms with that on my own. Hmm. Yeah, so I guess that's that's the thing, isn't it? And I, you know, I put a post on Instagram not long ago saying, you know, if your diet's making you sick, then you know, kind of stop eating it. Uh, <laughs> make a change, basically. Um, how did you work out though that it was your diet that was maybe the issue? Because a lot of people just 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 won't make that connection at all. Mm -hmm. They think it's just uh, something else, or that's that's just my lot in life, or this is just what it's meant meant to be how did you come come to the idea that it was your diet that was that was a big part of the issue well i improved in every single other aspect of my life i was doing the exercises i was mentally doing really well um and i just felt like that was one of the last aspects of health that i hadn't changed i hadn't tried to improve in any way so i thought that must be a, a big part of it at least and it was yeah i mean obviously it's, you said it's helped you uh mm -hmm. where do you think you're going to go from here with your nutrition then are you going to go more into the animal-based lifestyle the more into the carnivore or are you or are you pretty happy with where you're at at the moment i am happy with where i'm at at the moment uh just throughout my undergrad and college it's you know working with money uh that's a big reason as to why I'm not really going full into it yet. But I hope to one day once I'm more self established and have a career, I want to go towards the carnivore diet. Mm. Yeah, and it's certainly worth worth perhaps trying at some point. Um, mm. I, I know sometimes people with these kinds of conditions like POTS, um, certainly those if there's anyone out there listening with Ehlers Danlos syndrome, uh, MCAS, you know, histamine issues, I know, there's often a lot of hesitation to make a change as well because there's so so many things can just seem to make it worse. Um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't blame you if you just kind of said, well, kind of if it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know, kind of approach. Uh, it could be yeah. it could be worth exploring, you know, down the line, uh, of course. Um, you mentioned there that you want to be a, a child therapist. What what kind of uh, made you want to go down that route? 
I've always been interested in psychology and I over the summer was helping take care of a kid. It was just something that I really enjoyed throughout the summertime. And I was like, wow, I actually do want to work with kids. All of my old jobs were working with kids at, you know, camp counselors. Um, and I honestly just hadn't been around a child in like years. So I just forgot the joy of working with them. And I watched videos last year in one of our classes of a real therapy set up between two adults. And I was just so bored. I was just like, I can't do that. I can't, I just can't. I Kids are so much fun. And so that's the route that I want to go down. Yeah. Do you, do you think that you will pursue your kind of nutrition knowledge at all um, through the rest of your, you know, college and, and beyond? Um. Sorry, are you asking if I'm going to try to include that in the career? Well, I was going to ask that afterwards, but but yeah, I mean, I was wondering if you were, if you're planning on maybe trying to learn more about nutrition, you've obviously seen the benefits it's had with yourself. I wondered if you were going to mm -hmm. try and explore more that, uh, that more as well. Um, I definitely would like to, especially to be able to explain what's going on when I'm eating certain things and understand why it's giving me benefits so that I can also share it one day too. I would love to go down that route. Mm. Do you think that you would include, you know, any nutritional kind of information as part of your child therapy as well? I would really hope to. I don't know exactly how to go about that yet. Uh just cuz I don't know how it is in um Australia with your guys's like healthcare but it seems like everything's so divided here. I don't think I've ever seen therapists that integrate nutrition and all of that, at least just in my experience here. So I yeah. don't really know how to go about it. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's gonna be some differences, of course, between the States and Australia, um, at least of all, you know, just, just legis legislatively. Sorry, it's a bit early in the morning for saying that word. Um, here in Australia, yeah, it is it is quite divided uh, and quite quite piecemeal. Um, mm. And psychologists, you know, here therapists, counselors, you know, whatever whatever their job title, um, yeah, very often they 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 won't you know they won't talk about diet at all uh, with people, uh, which is a shame because we know it can make a big 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 difference, uh, and there is reasonably robust uh, evidence to support that. Um, mm. And in fact, here. The Royal College of GPs, um, so what you would kind of call yeah, GPs or primary care physicians, um, joined with the Society of uh, Lifestyle Medicine, Australian Society of Australasian, sorry, Society of Lifestyle Medicine, and co-authored a piece. You know that basically looked at a lot of the evidence and research and said that actually, as psychologists, you know they should be using uh, lifestyle interventions like diet and exercise as well as the psychological interventions. And I certainly do that. You know, in my in, in my kind of psychology work that I that I do with patients, um, I actually had a um, a patient recently. She saw me for one session, and we spoke about you know her issues. Went back through her notes and saw that she very likely had polycystic ovarian syndrome, and you know almost always that comes with a high insulin resistance. So I spoke to her about how insulin resistance can affect anxiety. Um, through the 5-MHT serotonin pathway, tryptophan, serotonin, and so forth. 
um, advised her to consider, you know, looking into a low carb diet, um, started her on metformin for PCOS. And then she came back three months later and I said, oh, you know, how come, you know, what's, what's going on? Like you, you know, I suggested you come back after a couple of weeks and it's now three months. And she said, well, you, you, I was cured. I, yeah. I just didn't need to come back <laughs> from, and it wasn't even like an antidepressant. It wasn't an anti-anxiety medication. It was simply metformin that was reducing her insulin resistance. And she didn't like reduce the carbohydrates as well in her diet. And just this crippling anxiety was just, was gone. Uh, and that wasn't even into like full carnivore or anything there as well. So, mm -hmm. um, but we know, you know, often patients, uh, that I see they, they go, they go carnivore, even just eating more meat. And they just come back and they just say they feel they feel better, you know. It's it's just amazing. So, um, but yeah, I don't know what it's like there in 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 the states, but certainly here in Australia, yeah, it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit divisive, you know, whether we talk about diet or not. I've spoken previously on this channel about um, there's been you know doctors over the world. There's been some in the states I know uh, here in Australia, South Africa. You know, they've been they've been punished and penalized for talking about diet with their patients it's just unbelievable isn't it mm. uh, like doctors being being criticized for talking about diet you know and these are evidence-based diets that's the crazy thing you know they're mm. not just you know making it up and saying okay we'll go and go and eat dirt for the rest of your life and then and, and, and you'll be healthy you know they're talking about evidence-based medicine and yet they're they're being punished they're being suspended they're being stripped of their credentials just for talking about food it's it's just unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. Um, do you have anything else that you wanted to to mention today that we haven't covered already, Megan? Anything else that you wanted to share with people? Maybe if there's anyone out there listening, you know, perhaps with some symptoms and wondering if they have POTS, any, any pearls of wisdom for them? Um, yeah, of course. If you think that you may have POTS, um, the test to kind of figure out if you're near that diagnosis is super easy. You can just Google poor man's tilt test and it only takes a couple minutes to do and a doctor can diagnose you from that and then go further in treatment. Um, and if you're going to go that route, you know, don't be scared to stick up for yourself and say that this is what's happening to me because you won't get anywhere if you don't advocate for yourself. Yeah, no, I think that's very, very good advice. Um, diagnosis is often very difficult with with POTS, um, but there are some pretty easy, simple tests that that you can do to really get a good idea. Um, are you on social media or anything like that? Are you kind of spreading spreading your message uh, on social at all? I do have a small Instagram account where I just post semi-frequently about uh, trying to reach remission, and it's called Reaching Remission on Instagram. Yeah, how can people find you on Instagram? What's your what's your uh, handle there? Um, just at reaching remission, just all together. Cool. Okay. Well, I'll be certainly certainly to put that in the uh, description for the episode. Um, thank you very much for coming on the channel, Megan. I very much appreciate you sharing your story about pots and how moving to a more animal based diet is is certainly seeming to help you there. Hopefully, if there's anyone out there listening, you know, to this episode that has symptoms that they think, you know, could be POTS, similar to yourself, hopefully they've got a little bit of little bit of confidence now, maybe in approaching their doctor and just saying, "Hey, look, I think, I think I have this condition. Let's 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 talk about it." 
hopefully there's some doctors out there i know that i do have some doctors that listen to this channel uh i know uh hopefully they're they're maybe a little bit better informed now perhaps as well and can go and go and research as well um thank you so much for coming on the channel it's been a great pleasure talking to you today megan thank you so much for sharing your story um perhaps we can get you back on down the line uh maybe if we're looking at uh, a bit more animal-based nutrition see how that went for you and, and so on and catch up in maybe six months or something that'll be that'll be great yeah i would love that thank you so much for allowing me to come on here i learned a lot from you you are so knowledgeable thank you oh you're very welcome thank you for saying thank you today megan for coming on the show uh have a great day and uh goodbye everyone we'll see you in the next episode Thank you, for this li Thank you for listening to this episode of the Meek Medic Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help to spread the word that how, how we can improve mental and physical health through diet and nutrition. If you are interested in improving your own... Okay, let's just re-record that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Meek Medic Podcast. If you found this episode useful, please leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help out the channel to grow. If you have found this useful and you want to improve your physical and mental health further, please do check out my website, themeekmedic.com, where you can find all my eBooks are currently 50% off with the code 50OFF. That's code 50OFF, 50OFF, for 50% off all eBooks. Take care. Thank you. See you in the next episode.